Hi, you're listening to the Colour Tour podcast. My name is Warren Eagles, colourist based in Australia. In this podcast, I'll be chatting to colourists at different locations around the world, finding out what they've been working on, what tools they're using, and what inspires them in the location where they're living. In this episode, I'm in Taipei. I'm talking to Paul Hanrahan. Colorist originally from South Africa, arrived in Taipei following his love of Kung Fu, but then got back into color correction and he's now working here as a full-time colorist. Ready to have some fun? Ah! If you look inside it, you can see every possible color. Hi, Paul. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, absolute pleasure, man. Mate, now, first obvious question. How does a boy from South Africa end up in Taipei? Um, well, it's, most of my career decisions have always been personal decisions, not really <laughs> career decisions, if you know what I mean. Um, I, uh, to put it simply, I had a teacher, I have a teacher here in Taiwan, a Kung Fu teacher. Um, and I'd, I'd studied Kung Fu for many years and I thought, okay, time to learn Chinese, time to come here, learn directly from the guy and, you know, just, it worked out that there was a facility that was looking for a colorist, and that's that's eight eight years water under the bridge. Fantastic! And yeah. you still still training, still fighting? Uh, yeah, yeah, in in a kind of a forty-something-year-old way, so much calmer and slower, and yeah, enjoying it. Excellent. I mean, long hours in the in the colorist suite. I mean, you know. Oh yeah, no, your backside, your eyes, your neck, everything is just so. Yeah, you got to. Yeah, I mean, I play a little bit of golf. It's probably a bit safer than Kung Fu. Yeah, <laughs> except for lightning. <laughs> so we're in Digimax. So for, Paul and I have just walked around. For those of you who have been probably in the game, not even not as long as me, we've walked past three telecine machines. Yeah. There was uh, an Ursa Gold, Ursa Diamond and a Spirit. Unfortunately, none of them are still running, but... Until recently, they've been running, and there's a big machine room, and there's a bit of dust gathering, but it was good to see these old bits of kit. And so until, how long recently have you stopped sort of using those in a... Um, in, the, in the past, last year, the, the spirit was the, the last man standing, and that's, you know, one card goes, and it's 10,000 US or something like that. It's just the, the throughput of film work in the last three to four years has, we have one client who, uh, Lodging Ren, the director who insists on still shooting on film. Um, and so now the two options for his jobs, the one is he shoots and scans everything and, and uh, we grade that. Or there's one company called Taipei Post who still has a, they have a shadow yeah. and a 2K controller and they dry hire the suite to us if we're gonna do it a, a traditional route to do. Yeah. So traditionally, Digimax has been the traditional film, Da Vinci grade, put it onto tape, as we were Yeah, know. yeah, I mean, it's, now that, you know, the benchmark's moved up to HD, it's um, straight to file. <laughs> but, but yeah, yeah, it would have been digital beta tape. How is the industry here? Was it a quick move to, to digital? Was it a slow? And what sort of cameras have really been embraced here? I mean, I arrived in 2009 and the first two years I was here was the, the film, uh, pe people hadn't dived into the digital formats yet. So I was, you know, three to four jobs a day, all shot on film, 16, 35. But basically mid 
2011, we just, in a, in a rapid, it felt like a year. Within a year, we'd, we'd, we assessed the market, we chose a film master, and very quickly was read or, um, at that stage, wasn't the Alexa, because the, the, the other area was... Yeah, D, D23. Just, 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 yeah, D21? D21, yeah, 21 yeah, 23, yeah, yeah. I think. So it was the first ARI digital offering, um, and then obviously, because you know you must consider Taiwan as a, as a low budget market, yeah. so the 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 five D Mark IIs, et cetera, et cetera, was was fair game um, yeah. as well, and that that moved in within a year. That was pretty much ninety percent of our work. And you're mainly commercial, so you were back then. Um, yeah, yeah. The the facilities split is um, mostly commercials and. In the in the eight years I've been here, we we've done two films, and those have those have been, you know, one of the factors. Not, it's not the only factor. But one of the factors is people have, through old connections overseas, people have specifically come to find me to do jobs. Right. Um, so yeah, it's. Um, I, I, I like to keep my hand in a lot lot of types of work. Yeah. Uh, back in South Africa, I literally, you know, after eleven years of coloring, I was still freelance coloring after that, but. I went all the way to you know script writing, producing, had my own production company. Then decided oh, production is just not for me. Toned everything back a bit, and then had a, a post company for for several years with a, with an offline editor. So I was post supervisor with offline editor, still grading, still hands on grading when our jobs were in grading, but not out as a as a full time grader. Then coming to Taiwan, that, that's what they needed. They needed a colorist. Um, so went heavily back into that and have just found it, you know, rediscovering it's so rewarding. Yeah. It's, it's got its, for some, you know, possibly other, other areas of the industry are under pressure, other jobs are disappearing. Coloring is, is definitely not. Yes. Um, you know, with, with formats, more formats, more cameras, more deliveries, and less um, detail when shooting, colorist becomes even more important. But there is a, there was definite, there's so, definite that, isn't it? When was the last time you got any camera sheets? Don't get me oh, started. Oh, oh, yeah, no, no. I mean, I mean, that's that, <laughs> that's how I, I started out in South Africa was doing long form dailies. Where was this in South Africa? This was in Johannesburg at a company called the Video Lab. Yeah, I remember the name. Yeah. And so that was um, Ursa Gold with a yeah. differentiator at eight, quarter inch sound. Yeah. Sync up next to you the. The early jobs, I don't think the art and what what is it the uh, the art and kind of time code yes, yes. but that came in soon. So yeah. you were, you were, you had to punch in take names. Yeah. it was logging the key code, the time yeah. code. Uh, it, it was it was nightmare work. I bet you get yeah. more money then than you get now though. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, then the rand was worth more. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've all got stories like that. Yeah, so. Tell us about your room. We're sitting in front of a film master. It's not the newer panels. It's the older style panels. Right. And so obviously the choice when you got this was obviously one of the options. When did you say like around 09 the room was built? Um, no, well, well we went we, you in, in 2011 we committed to a, a digital grading system. And at that point, you know, obviously I, I assessed everything, but the base light was just... It was that was kind of in a price league that we couldn't consider. Yes. So basically, what it came down to, I can't remember at what version of Resolve was on there, but it was Resolve, and your choice was 
have a resolve and if you need to clean anything you have yeah. to get revival yes separate tool you have yeah. to bounce things backwards and forwards. so that was choice number one choice number two was um film master which you know i, I was familiar with dvnr i'd come through you know i had a yeah. kind of a strong trusted came with a, ma a, a lovely plug-in set of tools, oh, yeah. sharpening, softening, repairing, adding grain, removing grain, and it, it was just the natural choice yeah. at that yeah. time. Yeah, no, it's a, a, very, a very nice box and used by uh, you know, really good buddies of mine over in the States as well, doing commercial similar stuff to what you right. do, and they, they've chosen it. And what else have you got? TV Logic there is your main monitor? Yeah, I mean, it's another, it's another Big question, you know. In a low-budget market like this, you you just it's too it's too much pressure to keep buying Sony's. You, you can't do it. So so TV Logic seemed to be a balance of something that was fairly fairly reasonably priced, fairly stable. You could calibrate it well, and you know it didn't come to you with dark corners and etc. Yeah. etc. Et so so we went with the 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 um, top of the range one for the grading suite. We bought a few of the medium range one for the, all the other suites. So we kind of standardized to, to TV Logic as the broadcast format. But we're on the cusp now because this is HD and we're getting lots of 4K requirements. Within the next two years, I guess, I guess we'll be getting HDR requirements. Yeah. So yeah, we, we're on another cusp. You know, these, these are unfortunately might end up on the heap. <laughs> they are, and it, it, it's going to happen quicker than we think. And, you know, the, the 4K thing, a lot of clients are asking for the deliverables to be 4K, but now, obviously, with the emergence of Netflix, Amazon, what Apple are doing, Dolby Vision, 4K, high dynamic range requirements, yeah. it is going to happen pretty quickly. But the downside for us, or in post, is hopefully there's more money that because of the kit, We've got to invest in the monitors alone. They're not cheap. I mean, if, if history is, is anything to go by, and I'm sure there'll be no difference between the switch from SD to HD compared to the 4K to 8K or whatever it's going to be, there is no extra money, and people want longer films. That, that, that's a slight <laughs> thing because I, you know, I've looked at uh, HDR and quite a bit of work with Dolby and Dolby Vision and it's right. not something you can just really go oh we'll just do another pass for that quickly and right. you do have to think about it to get the best for it and it yeah. is time and it's time you have to invest in you do have to invest money it's, it's tricky it's, it's another deliverable it is definitely it's another deliverable which for those of you that don't know it's not just putting a lat on no you start again You've got your basic setting, you've got all your windows in place, you're tracking, your things yeah. you're tracking, but it's literally, you start again, you yeah. create again, the, the night scenes are different to the day scenes. Well, I would say yeah. definitely to get the best out of a film. Now, what are we looking at here? This looks like this was probably, this was one of your film original jobs? Yeah, yeah, this is, this is um, Lodgingren, uh, the director who still sh um, shoots on film. Um, you know, I, I thought the supply of film had kind of run out and we, he actually went through a phase of where we'd do a job and it was, you know, this role was 10 years old in someone's <laughs> fridge, this one was brand new, this was Kojak, Kodak and Fuji, Fuji were mixed, daylight, it, it literally every role you didn't you know what to expect, but he's got a stable supply now. Uh, what about um, a lab though? Where's he going, where are you going for a lab? Um, they're, they're still, too, well, 
there were, up till recently there were two labs in in Taipei. Really, uh, Taipei Post and and Modern Modern Post. Now it now it's just Modern Post. Um, so yeah, it's uh, you're lucky. We don't have one in Australia. We don't have one in yeah. New Zealand. We're in Bangkok. We could come here. You know, it's uh, it's a shame because if any you know if a director in Australia really wanted to shoot film, yeah. Having to ship it overseas to the states or Bangkok, you're never going to get that past the producer. They're just not going to go. Credit X-ray it. How many times and before it's well, even three processed. days before we can see it? We can clear any actors, any talent, yeah, yeah, any locations. Yeah. It's a shame because you know I really obviously grew up grading film like yourself and still do, but it's been a while since I graded any film. Yeah. So this is scanned. They they scan it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it comes it comes in. Uh, just uh, flat scan, um, yeah, DPX, and um, yeah, it goes goes to the offline editor. I mean, the, the offline editors now are very happy to do a, a grade for the for the offline right, approval. Okay. Yes. So um, they, they do. There's there's no two step process now because you know I mean schedules are really tight here, yeah. budgets are tight and the the turnaround times are extremely tight. Yeah. You know what? Because I've had experience with um, post-producing, producing, and all that kind of stuff, it, it used to be the way I laid out schedules was okay. This you know, editors got three days to work, then one day director's approval, one day's client approval, and then whatever the next step was, there was another day. But now it, it's you know, great in the day, online in the you know thing uh, at the night, do your audio late night or early the next morning. The, the schedules are just. Yeah. jam-packed on, wow. on top of each other and so 35 mil um yeah yeah i mean i think for, for budget reasons he shoots either three perf or four perf um you know he's got a very cinematic style yeah. um fil filmic um heavily graded it's quite contracts. dark isn't it not 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 afraid of grain no. i mean we, we actually th this job we, we we were not i wouldn't say conservative but we didn't hit it as hard um We'd often add sharpening, really? you know, possibly add add grain and add sharpening to actually pull out any texture that's in there. Yeah, enhance it even further. Yeah, and you're digging into your DVO tools quite a bit and doing things as well. And yeah, I mean, because because it, it's got a lot of you know it's negative, so it's got white sparkle, which yes. is, which is you know. <laughs> You don't touch film for a while, and you have to get your head around why the sparkle is white. You know, because yes. at what stage was it on the film? Was it you know when it was being shot that it was blocking yeah. light, or is, yes. it, is it now? Was it light being blocked when it was in negative, going through the scanner, etc., etc.? But yeah, some white sparkle, which I mean, it would be frame by frame paint out here. It's a DVO plugin that that yes. would just automatically process it. Um, so yeah, these tools are still useful. Um, if the if the requirement was to get it nice and clean, we'd, we'd put clarity on it to clean up the grain, but the, not in this case. Not in this one, no. Yeah, I mean we, we're putting a lot of uh, tone into the blacks. Yeah. Stretching contrast. Yeah, um, that's lovely in there. Yeah, I miss it a little bit. I like to do a little mm -hmm. bit more, but there's a little bit of a resurgence. I feel. I mean, there's a few labs in London still. I think one of them may have just been taken over by Kodak and. Right. Obviously, in, in the States, Photochem is still doing a fair bit of stuff in, in L.A. Mm. So, you know, if it suits the right sort of genre, then I think it's just, just another, it's another choice, isn't it? It's another camera, another format, another choice. Yeah. A creative choice, which... Uh, I, th I think for teams that are disciplined, it's a very good choice. Yeah. Uh, directors that rehearse, it's a good choice. Yeah. Um, 
you know <laughs> it's it, it's got its own reasons disciplines you know it's it's um, yeah brilliant yeah. now you have another room here don't you yeah can we uh can we have a little wander we'll just wander because yeah for those of you who are obviously not seeing this you're listening to us this is uh it's a pretty amazing building it's quite futuristic we step out of here and we're we're going to go down the corridor. One sec, one sec, can I just grab something? Yeah, sure. We step outside, the corridor is all sort of like a bubble and very curvature to the whole aspect of the of the building. And it's sort of set in a big uh, semicircle, I suppose, that you walk around. We're now heading into another grading room. And this is where the spirit lived. And... Uh, Still, still does in spirit. <laughs> yeah, it does in spirit. <laughs> uh, so this looks like a resolve. Yeah, yeah. Element, we, element panels. Right. Um, I mean, the what the our, our, the way we approached resolve was, you know, we, we had the the standard of film master, and we were feeling that um, for various reasons um, we needed to have a tool that could keep up with the pace of new cameras. Um, we'd also seen the recent developments of Resolve, the tracking, the, the other th you know, features had really caught up. It's got a noise reducer on it now, which it didn't at the time. That was yeah. actually one of the, the, the deciding yeah. factor. Um, so yeah, we, this was essentially a, a test uh, suite. So we, we got the cheaper panel initially, um, repurposed a couple of workstations, got the, yeah, the GPU cards and yeah, and I mean, it's, Know, before you know it, 100, 200 jobs have gone by, and then, then okay, it's no longer a test. Yeah, and well, you obviously came from the Da Vinci sort of 2K days or the yep. 888 days. Was, yep. Is there any similarities in Resolve, do you think? Or is that all gone now? Um, I feel that the feel of their primary corrector is still the same. Yeah. Something about it, the, 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 what do they call it, the primary bars or whatever it is is still the same. I mean, if, if I had to do strict comparisons, I, I think that the, the, the area, what do they call it, the color curves on Filmmaster is a much better fine detail um, yes. grader. Yep. I, I, know, I know the reason, I know, I know why Resolve have done that. They, 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 they were doing yeah. more of a Cineon workflow with yes. a lot downstream. Yes. So it's a slightly different purpose, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, Kevin said something similar to me. And it's funny, I was in with Bob Fester when he was at Company 3 and he'd gone back there and he'd been on other boxes right. and moved around and he was back on a Da Vinci and he hadn't really used a Resolve, but he'd, he'd used them a little bit. And he sat there and he went, eh, it just feels like a Da Vinci. Yeah. And it's a hard thing, you know, when you're colouring to go, what is that? But he just said, you know, it just feels like that. And I suppose that is a lot to do with your... 30 years of making color corrections and all that that's gone into that the way that when you move a control yeah. it balances the way it does yeah i mean that, that's 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 the film curve that's yeah. the i mean that, that's the color science that's yes. behind it there is a lot so, under it yeah. there is a lot under it i mean it just just to, maybe we'll get there at a later point but just to drop the thing in now i mean what i what i'm itching to be able to do is to grab the vertices of a lut yes and move them so somehow, t I know there are other tools that do that in, in two-dimensional ways, yeah. but possibly in the next five years with 
uh, AR, augmented reality, and various other interactive displays, we'll be able to actually literally hold that LUT and pull various parts of it instead of yeah. having to use two-dimensional ways to address yeah. three-dimensional things. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a really interesting idea. And you mentioned yeah. to me that you're working LUTs into your workflow a little bit and yeah. uh, making them and experimenting. That's Yeah, I mean, we I, I jumped in way over my head at one point when we first got the film master because we, we got the film project in um, and what was lovely about that that first film project it was a, I mean it was an amazing film um, the director is a, a Rinpoche from Bhutan he's also a filmmaker he made the film called The Cup which is this story about these young Buddhist monks who want to watch the the, the World Cup football. Yeah. That was his first film. Travelers and Magicians was his second. And then his third film was Vara, um, which is an Indian love story, Romeo and Juliet kind of story. Yes. Amazingly shot by Bradford Young, who is now just <laughs> yeah, yeah. in the Untouchables, uh, you know, winning several Sundance films, etc. Um, but at that time, it was, it was amazing collaboration with him. He chose Red and he literally used the, you know, what people used to do with film. You ride the signal into the, the toe or the top, depending what you want to do. That's what he did with the camera. So he was, he would not expose what he didn't want you to see. Okay. Um, right. And where Red's problem is, is the top clips too easily. He wasn't even going to the top. He yeah. was, Sounds. you know, just putting the signal nice at the bottom. And just an amazing look. And for that process, we actually, because we thought we were still doing a 35 more print finish. Yes. Even though it was shot digitally. Yeah. Um, I used the um, Lightspace's profiling service yeah. and we profiled the, the Taipei film post-production's um, process. Yes. Their, their neg through to print, through to everything, and we got a lot back. Um, the way it turned out, and obviously because you know DCPs and that were just coming in at the time and becoming the, the mainstay, um, we ended up just using that as a look, okay. not as a delivery. Oh, right. Not so you a, never went back. We kept it on. We never yeah, took it. Really? You know, we, we were thinking it would just be a lot that we take away yeah. and then send yeah. that through the film process. We left it in, and and it was a you know it, it's it's. I mean, my, if I'm left to my own devices, I do grade heavier. I, I do grade more noticeably. Yeah. I, like, I like contours, you know. Yeah. So I, I, I'm not such a subtle grader. I like, I like to um, have, have a feel and artistic. And that, that definitely did. We, we put a lot of stinky blues and greens into the blacks. And, yeah. yeah, and the way that's got yeah. a lot easier now, that whole out to film and that, yeah. that art that was in there, that, there, was, yeah. there was a lot that could have gone wrong there. And there was uh, there's a lot of stories where things didn't quite go well and disappointments in theaters. Right, because because you're still you're still down to a, a chemical yeah. heat oh, time on, related process on the day and uh, printer lights How and etc etc. How humid was it? What was the <laughs> so, in terms of uh, what you're doing here, we're now looking at this job. This is this is red. You see quite a lot of red here. Um, yeah, it, it's I'd say it's probably about thirty percent of our right. commercials work. The, yeah. the large majority is Alexa. It's the same all around the world. I mean, I obviously go around teaching wherever I go, and it's around the same percentages wherever you go. You know, you've got a right. bit more Alexa, then it's red, then there's a bit of Sony in there. Yeah. Uh, 
or in the gaps. Do you find though there's lots of cameras? You get like drones and GoPros and bit yeah, of yeah. It's, everything's got to have a drone shot in now. It's 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 like it's it's <laughs> great. Isn't it's it? the law of advertising now. You got to have at least one drone shot. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's color space is smaller and yes. it's normally flying, looking at the si the sky and the yeah. sun, and it's burnt out and yeah. and and and. So. It's just normally if you got the DP flying and not the producer's <laughs> cousin or something. <laughs> So, so, and are you finishing, you mentioned when we were in the other room, like there's now more 4K deliverables and delivering 4K. Is that still the case or is it still 19, 20, 10, 80 for your ads? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, for, for most of our stuff, we'd, we'd still, HD would be the standard, 19, 20, 10, 80, but we'd output certain shots at full res, at, you know, for, for post zooms or, or quality issues yes. or anything yeah. specific like that. I mean, there, there's more, what is interesting is that there are more jobs that have weird requirements. For example, um, jobs that are used for dis store displays, and it's going to be a massive LCD screen. That's yes. a weird aspect, very, very yeah. tall or very wide. Yes. Um, jobs that are three or four projectors glued together. Yeah. Um, and then, then you're outputting very, very strange media, but. Yeah, I mean, we, we're on that cusp where we need to start looking at 4K. And what about um, your colour space? You mentioned like store displays, so it could be going nowhere near TV. Is it because they're using TVs for their displays, you're still grading it in Rec 709, or you're changing up, or you're doing anything with your, your output colour spaces or anything? Um, I think, you know, I'm, although I'm very curious about those, you know, these, these you know, cinema colour spaces, HDR, the, this kind yeah. of cutting edge where yeah. ACES and all that, all that thing yeah. is taking us. But the reality of it is it, the, the, the business end of, of film, uh, so video and, and that kind of production in Taiwan is it's literally, it, it, it's HD, it, yes. it's, it's sRGB, Rec yes. 709, just yes. keep it simple. Yeah. And, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, a lot of those store things are the same sort of tellies anyway. So, yeah. so probably in your X seven oh nine is where most people are doing. Yeah, and yeah. to an extent, you know, unless it's something, it's something uh, bigger budget in terms of films in Australia, it's very similar. Still Rex seven oh nine. Right. Convert from there. Yeah. Uh, there's not so many theaters now uh, where you can go and get what we call a traditional DI grade. So there's more people grading on monitors as more films get made. Right. You know, which is good. There's more work, but there's probably less high-end work. Probably, if I'm going to sum up how it is in Australia. Yeah. You know, there's less of people like us working in these sort of places, and there's more people doing stuff. But it's good. There's filmmakers making things. Stuff is getting out there. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the, I, I don't. I, I've always been slightly against the the operators whether it's uh, online or audio or whatever that are kind of artistic for artistic sake, uh, sake and obstructing the creative process stories king yeah. creating is about telling stories and the, the, the more that you can help that you know great and wherever the market's going we, we kind of do our best I mean coming coming from a you know the, this deeper experience and this I mean I don't know if there's still I haven't encountered them in so many years, but I have strong memories of people doing QC in facilities. Yes. And they, you know, as the colorist, whether I was doing wildlife documentaries, because there was a lot of that in South Africa, yeah. um, 
whether I was doing you know shows or commercials, it was always everything had to be line by line, frame by frame, QC'd. Were you out of gamut? We out? That seems to have just disappeared. Oh, machine! They sacked all the people doing that, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> all the white coats got sacked, replaced them with a one new box. Uh, for us in South Africa, it was about <laughs> sending things to Germany. Well, don't say that. <laughs> that was a nightmare. The, and then the official version of what, like frame number this, you were wrong, and you had to. Oh, fix they were it. the worst. <laughs> Apologies to anyone German is yeah, listening, yeah. but your QC people were the worst. We dreaded it. They failed anything, didn't they? Thanks for keeping us on our toes. I know, I know. But you did, you did. Thank you for that. So, in terms of your room, you have clients in here on a commercial. Yeah. Who's running the session? Um, what is... I mean, I, I've, over the past eight years, I've been trying to get my head around what is the difference. So, I've come from South Africa, which is a market where it's... Um, director heavy, director influence heavy, and what direct the, everyone on the team tries to let the director uh, realize his vision as much as they can. Here, what is a, I'd say a pro director is that directors write scripts. So in a way, directors here are slightly more like film directors. Okay. So a director might pitch, you know, an agency will come with a very uh, loose brief, very loose. And the director will flesh it out. He, right. he, where what I'm used to in South Africa is that the agency are very creatively strong. They control the project, and they just want a director to implement it. And and it's a, it's a tussle. It's a creative tussle between the agency and the director, and the client just pays the bill. And they and they get shouted. And the client has opinions. They get shouted down. I mean that that's changed now. For that that's how it used to be. Here, client is king. Clients speak to directors to come up with interesting ideas, but within a bounding box. Yeah. Within something that's been seen before, fairly safe. But I mean, what is, I think Taiwanese directors do very well is moving. They do uh, emotional pieces very well. Yes. So you realize that there's a, you're just watching a, a, a copy, and now there's, there's a, a copy, which is the term here for the, the offline. Um, and you realize, oh, you just, you know, you just got a, like a warm, fuzzy feeling inside you. So that, the, the, there's a speciality here. Good, you know, good. So yeah. the director comes and does the post for you, or is the director gone? Um, I hardly ever see agencies, where in South Africa it was always agencies. Okay, I, so I would, this is would, more your Australian model, yeah, so where the director sees it through the post. Directors and DPs. Um, and you know, for more busier directors, it, it's I, I see post supervisors a lot. And, you know, I mean, what's interesting about this, this market is often, you know, where in South Africa I'd be a creative collaborator working over a job, you know, with with the DP and, and with the director and the agency. Um, here, I'm often left to my own devices. Okay. I would say they, they say you know what, you you kind of got the best feel about grading. You yes. give it a, you know, they give me a ballpark, yeah. but the, I'm often left to do my own thing. And then, which you, is very interesting. You send them stills or a quick time whip or a little, yeah, 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 yeah. Get yeah. some feedback. Yeah, and unfortunately, then you're actually improving on a on a phone. Well, that <laughs> that is that opens up a whole can of worms, doesn't it? Like, where are they even watching this thing you're sending them? Exactly. So, so but but you you do develop um, the feeling for what this this particular DP likes, and yes. I, I think those those are very strong. It's, it's yeah. not to say that people don't have original ideas and job to job they all always the same. That's not the case. No. Um, but yeah. People do have their flavours. Oh, it's about building the relationship, and yeah. I people ask me about remote grading. And I say, if I know 
the DP, I know the director, then it's something I can do. If I don't know the people that are hanging on the end of Skype, yeah. it's very difficult yeah, yeah, yeah. to do because you know you got a client in the room, you're looking at them, you got eye contact, they say they like it, you know they probably don't quite <laughs> like it. They'd like Not you to yet. do something else. That you can't get that emotion on the end of Skype. Right. You can't look at them, you can't build that feeling. But when you've got that with a director or a DP and they go, yeah, you know, we did that thing and you do that and I'll come in after a couple of hours and have a look and see what you've done. You've got that relationship. Yeah. Same as the DP, director relationship, colorist yeah. relationship, I feel is the same. And that's hard with remote. You can do that if you know them. If you don't know them, it is a little bit harder. Yeah, no, it's, yeah. Um, I mean, what, what's, I assume it's in other parts of the world, but what's used heavily here is referencing. Um, to, it, it can get a bit annoying to the point of the reference actually has to be similar in content and location and to the, so you feel like you you know if it's used in a bad way you're literally making a copy yeah. and people focus too closely but if it's used in, a, in an interesting way yeah. um, you know I mean what, what Taiwanese directors they draw a lot of inspiration from Japan Yes, that, that's one of the specific uh, guidelines or fields, and and there, there's lots of different types of Japan. I mean, some, sometimes for comedy pieces, it, it might go slightly like uh, Thailand. Thailand's yes. kind of wacky style, that that okay. kind of yep. very weird ass grade that sometimes uh, yeah. Thailand jobs have. Um, so so yeah, it's it, it's because my my at the core of this all probably is my love of photography. Yes, and the reason why I, I kind of. Got, got in, the, you know, studied as an electrical engineer, then moved to creative industry straight after that. And I didn't really know. And Fred, um, friends were saying to me, oh, you probably try editing, you know, that's probably your thing. But and then I went into a facility, they said, well, we've got this opening as a colorist, you want to try it? I tried it and, you know. There you go, you don't look back. <laughs> don't look back. the same as me. So yeah, yeah, photography and um, definitely the move to Asia has introduced me to different, uh, kind of a, a different finesse on, on photography where maybe in the West it's more heavy-handed more extravagant more um, adventurous but there's a lot more finesse in, in Asian photography yeah I'd say. it seems to me there's quite a few influences here it seems a bit of a mixture of other Asian countries that I've been to right. it seems a bit of China and there's a bit of Japan like you said a bit of Thailand maybe it seems a, a mixture I find it, it quite interesting I've only ever been here twice but uh, that's great. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the, the film industry, I mean, I, I've come from the example of where South Africa's film industry, the, the cycle of local, local stories getting turned into local films, being watched by local audiences to efficient, sufficient quantity where they pay enough money for the next film to be made, that kind of cycle is, stag is staggering and stuttering and actually only in the last few years in South Africa getting going. Taiwan's more ahead of that, but it's limited to the love story genre, the love story or historic genre. So the genre is more limited, um, um, but it's, it's a slightly more established, well-established film industry. Okay. Um, but yeah, so it, it, it's, got, it's got its own, uh, own kind of right. speciality. Cool, I'd like to know more about yeah. that. Well, let's, let's step outside and try and grab a beer or something and we'll get to the hustle and bustle. Great. I say hustle and bustle, I'm sure it'll be busy. The International Colorist Academy has been around for 10 years. We run classroom training, a 
different locations around the world. So not only do you learn from instructor, you learn from other people in the room, such as HDR, ASUS, advanced software, looks and designs. So take your grading forward and take an ICA class, icolorist.com. So we've ventured out on the street and uh, Paul's got a beanie on and a bubble jacket and a pair of boots. I'm in a t-shirt. I'm freezing. And suddenly got really cold, dark, about to rain. Two days ago it was like hot and humid. But it's, uh, it is Asia, it's very busy. We're trying to get a taxi and try not to get run over getting it. Uh, Right, here we go. Slide across rather than get run over on the outside. You go in the middle, Will. Right, we're all in the taxi. It's busy, busy on the roads, but it doesn't seem like it's, it's not it's not India busy. No, no, it's, it's definitely a step down uh, from India. Bangkok but, busy. But you have to learn that stopping is, is like not really necessary <laughs> so traffic flows like water and you just got to learn that so if you start stopping and looking then you you get no. crashed into from behind and who to that so that's a bit of a sort of an asian thing isn't it being an yeah. thing it's going to keep moving yeah do you drive here uh yeah uh, yeah it's either scooter or car but parking is just uh, this is a big city, how many million people here? Uh, I don't know, I'm not sure. I, I mean, Taiwan, what I, the, my comparison is always that Taiwan is half the population of South Africa, but about 140th of the size. Yeah. So, so I don't know if you know South Africa, it's got yeah. a Kruger National Park. Oh, yeah. It's the biggest uh, park. That's as big as Taiwan. Um, so, yeah, it's just... I heard it was about 7 million people in... in something like that. I was going to say 6 or 7, something like that. It's pretty big, because it's only about 22 for the, 22 for the whole country, yes, isn't it? correct. Yeah, we've, we've only got 22 in Australia, but everyone lives on the edge. Right. No one lives in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy to live in the middle. They don't do post-production in the middle, right? No, no, what? No, no, it's it's dotted around the edges, but it's, it's sort of geared towards the the beachy lifestyle, which is fair enough. Right, folks, we've relocated to this bar. It's somewhere in Taipei. I'm not too sure, but Paul's brought us here, so uh, we'll do our kaching. I it's rather dark pearl jet stout that I'm drinking. Mm. It's pretty nice. I quite like that. It's pretty dark. It's not. It's not a Guinness, but it's uh, it's good. It's local. So I always drink the uh, always drink the local beer on the colour to the podcast. <laughs> so, Paul. Yeah. Cheers. You've made a move. Like you've come and worked in a different country. Right. Lots of people say to me, you know, I'm grading in a certain country. What's the chance of me going overseas and working? Is it really different? It's obviously huge change, not only professionally, but culturally, you're moving to a different country. Is it really hard to, to do that? Um, 
I mean, in Taiwan, it's probably slightly harder because um, you have to speak Chinese to do it long term. I mean, in the past, facilities did hire foreign colorists, but it was, you know, they would need a translator, and ultimately, the ultimately the clients um, the clients would come back and with, with feedback as it said, you know, it wasn't what they wanted. They wanted direct contact with the colorist, language-wise. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think for for Taiwan, Chinese is, is a minimum requirement. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, mo moving to Taiwan was. I mean, I, I just basically did the, the traditional route. I mean, I came here for a holiday in 2004, and I, with my best Chinese, I tried to find the, um, you know, post facilities. I had reels, I had showreels with me, dropped the, dropped the showreels off, and, you know, just kept email contact with the companies. And it just happened that in 2009, when I was really ready to make a move, um, Digimax was looking for a, for a colorist. Um, and on the strength of my, at that stage, dodgy Chinese, um, they, they gave me a chance and, uh, you know, it, it worked out. To come here, you definitely would need some Chinese, yeah? Yeah, I think so. I mean, possibly, I, I'd assume the same in Shanghai and Beijing. Um, it, it can work. It can work via a translator, but I, I think it just, it slows the session down too much. Um, and... Yeah, obviously there's stuff that, you know, put it simply lost in translation. There's also, um, call it genres, call it code word, buzzwords, um, looks and feels. You have to know the industry. You have to know something about the kind of styles that people want. Um, so yeah, I, th I think Chinese would be a minimum requirement for, for any serious work here. And the other thing is, I suppose, it's not just communicating with your your clients is with the staff and the co-workers that you work with which we've got to do all the time to get things done you know sure, it's hard yeah, for yeah. that to work in, in English and no, so what would you say to people who are looking to get into colouring because obviously quite a lot of people listen to this thinking well I'd like that job what do you think the best route is what would be a good way of becoming a colourist I mean, the, the way coloring used to be was it was very niche. You had to somehow get into a facility that did it. It was very expensive gear. That, that's all different now. I mean, you, you can, there's, there's a wide range of products that can be on your laptop, some of them free. Um, you can grade, but the thing is, can you actually grade? Um, underneath it all, once you've learned the software, once you presumably have some, uh, an eye, you've got something to add to the process. You're not just a button pusher. Um, you're not just the interface to the software. Well, you know, what are you adding to the process? Um, I'd say that sometimes I feel like coloring is a craft and you're just like a carpenter, you're fixing something, you're solving problems, you, you're getting things lined up how it should be. But other, other, you know, other times it's more of an art and, and you, like I said, I'm often left to my own devices and how it gets graded is, is my choice. Um, but yeah, getting into, I mean, just if I look back into my history, it's, I didn't realize that I was doing, you know, it was just fun to me at the time, but you know, those first four years at, at Video Lab, I, you know, we were, several of us, you know, some of the online guys, the audio guys, we'd stay at work. I, I taught myself how to use Harry. Do you remember Harry? Yeah, yeah. And, and the Henry and yeah. those kind of things. I just painted my own stop frame animations. You know, I was, because then it was plugging and playing it, you know, 
I'm sure I caused the engineers huge amounts of trouble, but literally through our interest, through our creative drives, yeah. um, at the company, we were, we were expanding our minds and, and learning. You know, in our private times, we were doing things like um, shooting and editing music videos. Um, we were doing video mixing. We'd line up five VHS decks, an audio, uh, sorry, an analog video mixer in a projector at an at a underground rave or, <laughs> or a club or whatever. So we, we were just, you know, just loving the, the whole visual experience. And there's something about, because there you, you're mixing visuals live. And I'm sure you remember, if you grade a music video, you'd grade the footage and that was all set and you'd play it to tape. But then often the client would ask you to do a pass where you jam it. You literally, you, you push play and record and you jam the footage. You, you kind of yeah. do, you know, you yeah. can do optical warps, you can do color warps. We'd have, we'd have bits of glass in the telecine yeah. and we'd be playing around, putting nets with lolly sticks and spreading stuff on Cellophane, filters. Cellophane, Vaseline, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> typically because that sort of stuff was late at night and you'd obviously had a few drinks and a few people had a few other things going on. Yeah. Here's the video scene. Yeah, we had good fun, it was good fun. Yeah, I enjoy those stuff. I mean, I must, the, the two quirky things that I do remember from the past is people did definitely chop lines on the table next to me at one point. And the other thing was a director was eating chicken and he would touch the screen with yeah. those greasy fingers while he was eating the chicken. <laughs> but okay, anyway, getting into the industry is, um, so you've got you've to be ready for the opportunity when it opens. I mean, I was an assistant for three years and then the top guys are gonna leave. You know, the colorist of preference is gonna move on. He's gonna get poached by another company. And the, the, you know, can you fill the shoes? Um, if, you, if you manage to somehow make your way through that first job and the client says, okay, yeah, you did a good job. They'll give you a second job. It, it's literally, it's, and I don't think it's changed. I mean, I think it's on your merits. Yeah. Obviously, it, it's, you know, in Chinese, it's called guanxi, it's, it's who you know. There is that, but actually in that session, um, coloring is actually a very high pressure job. It's, no one's leaving you to it. You know, starting out, people are breathing, literally breathing down your neck. And, and the suite's expensive. You, at that stage, you might not be expensive, but the suite is expensive. Oh yeah. So you, you're under a lot of pressure, and it basically, can you can you crack it? And it, it's harder in a way now because it's a lot more of a freelance industry. There's not as many jobs. So, but you've got to get some sort of showreel. Yeah. You've got to get some sort of CV of credits of things that you've worked with. And then I think you've got to go knocking on doors. You uh, kids of today, there's a tendency not to, you know, there's more, more done on internet or wherever on phones. But if you go and knock on the door, you could be right place at the right time. You just don't know. And there's nothing wrong. There's probably a fear of rejection maybe, but I'd say that would be the way to do it. Just go around and see as many companies as you can with your little website, with your little work that you've done, and you might get you might get lucky there. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's also about, I mean, the place that you want to get to is you want to develop relationships with, uh, you, you basically want to be part of a creative team and your, your connection with a, a DP and a director, um, possibly even agency people if in, the, in the case of advertising, 
um, you know, that, that those are that's where that's when the work really becomes rewarding. When you, when you're doing far more than just the coloring, you know, I mean, at at the mid to later stage of my coloring career, I was going on set. I was involved in the pre-production. You know, I, I, I read the I read the script. If you know, at the time that the facility received the job, I was involved in the pre-prods. You know, go on the shoot, supply references, do tests. I mean, especially in low-budget markets like Taiwan, tests are, are seem to be a thing of the past. Yes, no. um, yeah, I think unfortunately, so. and and then obviously, you know, with, with a wider experience, you can get into things like. Uh, Post post supervision, but but yeah, I mean uh, the yeah, it, I'd emphasize that too. It depends on your reel to get your foot in the door, but you basically it, it's also um, you know in Chinese it's called jiban gong, your basic skill. Have you practiced? Have you sat down and worked? Because um, it's actually a, it's something that you actually have to sit and do in a short space of time under a lot of pressure, and th those basic skills that balancing shots, doing tricky things, keying things, dealing with um, noise, um, you know, dealing with badly shot stuff, badly matched stuff. You know, unfortunately, we're in a, a lower and lower budget, a tighter and tighter budget world. I mean, that, yeah. that's the way it had to be. Yeah. When I started in the industry, it was basically every player, so call it the edit house, the post house, the agency, you know, the production company, they were all putting a 30% markup over and above their basic line items uh, invoice. Now there's no such thing. You know, you you're, you're, you you have your hourly rate. The room has its hourly rate, and often often that's getting cut. Everything's discounted. The so, yeah. the clients here are they more demanding than in South Africa? How are they different to what you worked with there? Um, if I had to say yes or no, I'd say they they you know if it was a Binary answer, I'd say they're less than one. Right. Um, but they obviously are demand, demanding clients here, they're very easy clients here. Um, what I was getting to with, with the tighter budgets was that it's about um, less precision in shooting, and that's an issue of digital. You know, when it was film and, and every, every second counted, every frame counted. Yeah. You know, you planned your shots, you rehearsed before you... Now it's shoot everything, including the rehearsals and, you know, it's just another hard drive. Um, so, yeah, it's, 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 a, it's about a, a precision that's going out of the industry. And hence, it means you're fixing problems. You, you, you get thrown a lot more out of exposure, you know, wider ranging exposure stuff. People don't wait for the right light, they just keep shooting. Oh, yeah. They don't do tests and they shoot with yeah. mismatched sets of lenses. Yeah. So the, the, the yeah. tight lens is pink and whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, also, also people are under pressure when they shoot. They don't, they don't, they just crank up the ISO. They don't have more lights in the truck. Yeah. So that, that comes back to you as the colorist. Um, and you, you have to try and solve that. You have to try and balance yeah. all those shots. Yeah. What about in terms of a 30 second commercial, how long do you get in time to shoot that? Right, on a grade for a 30 second? Um, roughly. Yeah, I mean, that's probably two to three hours. Right, yeah. Something like that. Yeah, same in Australia. And is that set like it's an all-in deal, or is it paying by the hour? Um, normally, if it's, they are all-in deals. But that normally, if the facility does everything on the job, 
Yeah. If they're doing the, the audio as well, the offline and the and How much deal. of that is your facility, Digimax, doing that? How much of that is going somewhere else? Um, I'd say in the current state of affairs, it's actually a low percentage. Probably 20% is all in, yeah. all in jobs. 80% is we're just doing the grade. It's changing. Are you still enjoying it? Um, I think because I had a quite a long break from it. Not, not a break, but a, I'd call it a breather. I was still grading. I've been grading my whole career, like 24 years. But from about 11 years in, I was branching out a lot, getting into production and, and a lot of other things, post-supervision. Um, and so now in the last eight years to be, well, on the books, I, I'm, I'm strictly a colorist, but of course I, I do a lot more. I get, you know, the, the, the film, it did uh, this Vara film and the, and the second film, which was actually a zombie, zombie chop em up horror flick. Um, it was also the place I was the post supervisor as well as the colors. Yeah, nice. So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, th I think the challenges will always be there. So, as long as you don't get jaded by it, there's always, whatever the job, at whatever you say level or whatever genre, there's always something that you can add. And, you know, there's always an interesting collaboration to be had. I mean, I've always found the, the people in a way to be the most interesting part of this industry yeah. you know, the, the amazing characters you meet the conversations you have while you're grading almost as if they, they make it worth it <laughs> yeah that's, that's something I always say to the to the younger people coming through that's a hard thing to do is grade and talk and do things at the same time because when you're starting out you're so trying to just get it graded right and keep your head down and get through the job you can't even think about chatting or talking about but when you know you get a bit more experience you can just do two things at once and you're chatting about this and the client and sometimes you have to say well, i have to say no we have to carry on here i can't keep yeah. talking we got to get this job done and they're chatting away one thing, one thing that is, is always good to remember, I think, is to, to actively engage the creative process. Even if it's literally the client walks in the door and gives you the material and you start grading, and that, that's the first you know about the job. Even if it's that kind of situation, you still have to be, you know, the more you know, the better. If you, obviously in your background knowledge, if you know a bit about lenses, about formats, and about looks, about styles, the more you know, the better you can, you can help the process. Um, if you know the clients well, you can know in the past where, what, what edge they, they're trying to push, you know, what is their flavor that they're trying to get towards. Um, in, in, in a way, I feel that the challenge for me now is to, can I design and manipulate LUTs? You know, obviously it's on, sometimes it's on the fly, but also in quiet time, can I, design and manipulate interesting LUTs that can push the, the visual experience further. Definitely. Great. So if people want to know more about you, where do they find you? Are you on this thing called the internet I've heard about? Uh, yeah, I'm on the internet of things. Um, I've got a Vimeo uh, and a Paul Hanrahan. Uh, I'm sure you can link it in, in visually to the pod podcast. Great, will do. Um, yeah, it, it seems to be that we're the most uh, I've also put up a Dropbox show but that's uh, I don't know for, for the poor people who can't uh, get onto onto Vimeo um, yeah I mean uh, just a experienced colorist and starting out alike the, 
don't forget the showreel. I mean, we all fall into that that trap of you're so busy. Yeah. The last thing you have time to do is update the showreel. Exactly. Exactly. Um, you got to have some. Yeah. Stay current. <laughs> all right, Paul. Thanks for chatting, mate. It's been great and. Uh, you could well be the only colorist from Taipei I have on this color tour podcast, but you never know. You could be a unique person. But uh, thanks for joining. It's been a great insight, and it's for me as well coming to Taipei and experiencing some of the culture here, as well as the way you're doing things. It's been uh, it's been really good fun. So thanks very much. Absolute pleasure. Thank you. Cheers. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. You can get more information about our training at iColorist.com or you can subscribe to the podcast through your normal podcast providers.